One of the many, many things I've missed over the last couple of months is performing live and going to live events. So today's episode is a flashback from a Memory Motel live event. This is Ed Gavigan's story, The Hidden Flaw in the Golden Rule. So I have an eight-year-old daughter, and I was walking her to school this week, and she said to me, Dad, did you have a plan for your life when you were my age? And I was like, oh boy, okay, um, yes I did. And she goes, and, and did it change? And I said, it did. When I was in high school, I wanted to uh, be an engineer, and I really wanted to design helicopters and rockets. I just loved that idea. And then I went to college, and calculus happened. <laughs> and I flunked out of engineering with a 0.9 grade average first semester of college. I'm absolutely, I think I'm going to be kicked out of school. I, I can't believe I'm getting my ass kicked. And um, the resident assistant on, the, uh, on my floor in the dorm, like, so he said, listen, what I recommend you do is go to the architecture department because they hire engineers. You don't have to be one. You just call them up and pay, pay them and they'll solve your problems for you. And so I went to the architecture department and I found out that the third year of the architecture program was spent in Rome, Italy. And I said, um, plug me in. So um, I ended up in Rome as a an absolutely penniless student. I would uh, do watercolors in front of the Pantheon and sell them, and then I would remember that I was actually supposed to have turned that in for um, you know a grade. So then I'd do another watercolor in like 10 minutes <laughs> in the class, and um, you know get a D. But I knew that I had gotten 30 bucks for selling my um, you know my Pantheon uh, watercolor to Ellen from Des Moines. And so I was doing anything I could to, to try and make money and, and eat, basically, and then try and travel a little bit around um, Italy. So I went to the American Embassy and I put up a, a placard um, in the bulletin board there. And it said, uh, American architecture student, handyman, reasonable rates, no job too small. And then one woman called and asked me, um, she said she was working on a mosaic and would I be able to come and help her wash the mosaic pieces and then place them uh, in, in these panels that we would then set? She, she was putting them in a swimming pool. So I get to her studio and she turns out to be a big shot and the guy who's guiding us through the washing and the placing of the mosaics is the head of the Vatican's mosaic restoration team. So I'm working with him and we're, we're you know, and I'm learning about how to fabricate mosaics. And then this woman, her husband was the counselor to the American ambassador. And he says, listen, we're going away for a month and we'd love to have our apartment painted. Could you paint the apartment while we're away? Now they have a penthouse with an outdoor terrace in the most fashionable part of Rome, um, Trastevere. And I'm like, yeah. And then I've got the keys to a convertible BMW um, so I can go and get paint and stuff. And here I am, formerly penniless, you know, student. Now I've got the convertible BMW with the Corpo Diplomatico license plates. I can drive up to the Spanish steps <laughs> and they can't do anything. Um, so anyway, they, while they're away for that month, I paint the entire apartment. There's a leaky skylight. I fix that. I fix the cabinet doors. There's a couple of doorknobs that don't work. I just fix everything because I'm, I'm there hanging out. 
they come home and they are like, oh my God, our apartment, like not only is it gorgeously repainted, but every single thing works. All the doors, the cabinets, you know, the leak is fixed. And so then they take me out to dinner and the husband says, you know, we're building a um, second home and we're just wondering, would you like to go, our, our construction manager just quit, would you like to go and um, supervise the construction? Now school is ending and I need a summer job and I'm like, I don't wanna go back to Wyoming. And I'm in Rome and these guys are offering me a chance to work on a, their, their vacation home, their, their second home. So I'm like, uh, yeah. And they say, you know, just everything that you've shown us, plus you're an architecture student, we feel completely comfortable, you know, putting this this home in, in your hands. And so we need like 12 weeks of work and, and are you, you know, can we agree that you'll do it? I'm like, yeah. So they said, all right, the house is on the northern edge of the Sahara Desert outside Marrakesh. And our construction manager quit and we have a team of 12 or 15 guys and they need direction every single day. So the woman says to me, there's one guy who speaks Italian, nobody speaks English, but there's one guy that speaks Italian and you can learn some French and some Arabic and you're playing, you know, you leave uh, two days from now. So that's how I find myself with my suitcase getting out of a beat up Mercedes cab at this giant portal in Morocco, outside Marrakesh in an oasis in the first week of June. Now two things become immediately apparent. The first is this is not a vacation home or a second home. This is the shell of a palace. All right, they're making the bricks that they're using to build the, the palace on the, on the property. So there's uh, a whole um, formwork and, and they're you know, creating the bricks that bake in the sun. So I can see just thousands of bricks out drying. And then I look and there's the pool with stacks of the mosaic panels and the pool is in the shape of an Arabic doorway. So when you stand at the foot of the pool and look in, it's like you're looking into a mirage. And as the water um, moves, it looks like the heat waves. And so it's an Arabic door with a pathway to a garden with a fountain at the end. And then we also, in, in the panels, which I, I hadn't quite understood how amazing the effect would be, there were little fish that we had inset into the panels, um, mosaic images of fish, but they had gold leaf lines on them so that when the sun sparkled through it looked like the fish were moving now this is a saturday so there's nobody working and i'm there um fresh off the plane i have no idea uh, uh you know I, I haven't met the workers anything i just know this is where i'm going to be living the other thing i didn't realize is that the sun at that uh in that time of the year is like the hand of God reaching out 93 million miles to crush your skull. The, the heat is just mind-meltingly unbelievable. It was like 120, 125 degrees. And I had, um, I was completely unprepared. I had a tube of uh, zinc oxide for me and I didn't understand, you know, like lifeguard, uh, the, the white like war paint. But I'm walking around the property, looking at everything. There are three holes in the ceiling 
um, where the domes are supposed to be made. And, and my job then is to design uh, one of the domes. They had two domes already designed and underway and that the third one was gonna be my job. There are, there's a colonnade with 16th and 17th century marble columns that have been put in place. And I'm just walking around looking at this. I don't realize that the part in my hair is getting sunburned. The tops of my ears are being fried. My arms, after like two or three hours, I'm, I'm, I'm completely, I just start to swell up. And I go into the, uh, and you know, I'm looking, there's no running water, there's no electricity, there's a little solar pump uh, putting out a little dribble of water into a clay jar. And then that's what you have to eat, drink, flush, everything with. And, and I, so I, I just hang around and I'm, the next morning I wake up and I am so badly, completely sunburned, I can't move my arms. Like my, the tops of my ears have giant blisters on them. The part of my hair has blisters on it. And, I'm, and then I start putting the uh, zinc oxide on me. And so Monday morning, the workers show up and um, they're like, who's this guy? And I just like, I'm just fried, right? I'm, I have giant blisters on my face and my ears and, and I'm looking at them, I can't move my arms. When, when they ring the doorbell in the morning, I'm like Nesferatu with the sun. I'm like, no! So I go and I let them in and I'm, I'm trying to like, I meet all these guys and Lotterby, who was the, the head, who was supposed to speak Italian, I find out he doesn't speak Italian. The thing that he, he has a couple of phrases, the thing that he has is this utterly convincing head bob so that when you talk to him, you believe that he understands everything you're saying. So the wife thinks he speaks Italian and he just knows how to do this. So then there's another dozen guys and um, they're looking at me like they've never seen a blonde person and never seen somebody who doesn't speak uh, French or Arabic. And I'm like, hey guys, it's me. <laughs> like, here, here we go, let's, uh, let's get to work. And so um, the first thing we have to do is, um, you know, I've got to learn their names. I'm trying to learn a little bit of Arabic. Um, the first phrase I learned how to say is, this looks good. You know, what you've just done, it looks good. The next phrase is, um, we need to do that over again. <laughs> and then the other phrase is, we need to do it over again and faster now. And as I'm learning these phrases and everything, we're getting to be friends with the guys, the phrase that I'm learning also that is crucial is inshallah, which they would repeat at the end of every conversation. I'm making sketches. I'm saying, we're gonna make all these bricks. We're gonna bring them to the roof. We're gonna build a parapet. And they're like, inshallah. And what I don't realize uh, at the moment is that that means it will be so if it is the will of God. Now, if you've ever designed or built anything and you realize your subcontractor is responding to every one of your requests with, it will be so if it is the will of God, you realize where, where I was at. So this is like the first week, right? I'm learning the ropes. And one of the other, um, I guess, fundamental aspects of Morocco is that in the day, when it's 125 or 130 degrees, everything is just completely still. Nothing is out. Once the sun goes down, 
Everything that creeps, crawls, or flies comes out to eat and, and forage. So I'm laying there on my little thin mat in the, you know, underneath the uh, not yet finished dome looking up at the stars, incredible stars in the desert. And I'm laying there thinking like, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? Thinking of all my classmates back at their dad's architecture office, getting coffee and making copies and, you know, having this idyllic life. And here I am, I'm, I'm sunburned out of my mind. I've got like heat exhaustion, um, I'm peeling. I haven't slept well. And something crawls up the leg of my jammies and heads up behind my knee and I leap up. At it. I'm like, oh my God, I pull my pajamas off. The biggest centipede I have ever seen, and I mean in the, even in a book, like this thing was like a monster and it goes hauling ass out and I am, I'm just beyond freaked out. So I drag my little mat out into the yard and I dig a trench, a circular trench that I fill with wood and then I start a fire. So I'm sleeping in this circle of burning wood, waiting for these bugs to come leaping through to get me. And I'm there and, and I've got, you know, of course, the zinc oxide on me, which is now smudged with ashes. And I'm laying there, I finally pass out like at 3 a.m. My workers come in the morning and they just look at me like I'm some the victim of a sacrifice, right? I'm, I'm laying there on my mat in this burnt ember circle and they're looking at me like, is this guy? So I'm thinking, all right, I've got to get command of this situation back. I've got to reassert myself. And I hadn't been having um, lunch with these guys. I had just been too focused on measurements and drawings and reconciling the plans with what was built. So I think to myself, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to um, join them for lunch today. And what they would do, the foreman would bring a giant um, pot of couscous and he would set that on the fence in a black painted can. And then everyone else would bring in a little handful of vegetables, some kind of like zucchini, squash, chickpeas, whatever. Everyone would bring in a little bit. And they would have black painted cans and they would set them on the fence in a row. By noon, <laughs> steam was coming out of these cans and we had a fully cooked meal. So they would set out a big, um, a big platter and then Everyone only had brought a cup of food, but when you put it out, it looked like a huge spread, and then everyone would just eat it with their hands. So I said to Larby, can I buy the bread and butter today? You know, I'd like to, I'd like to sit and eat with you guys. So he's like, all right, the, you know, the bread and butter place is, you know, a few blocks down, and um, uh, yeah, get, get 12 pieces of bread and, and some butter. So I'm like, all right, how do, how do you say bread? So he's like, Bread is chubs, chubs. So I'm like, chubs. And then how do you say butter? Zubda, zubda. All right. So I'm like, chubs, zubda, chubs. And I start walking to go get it. So I'm like, chubs, zubda. I walk into the store and I see this young girl, maybe 13 years old, behind the counter. And I look at her and I go, chubda. And she's never seen anyone who doesn't speak Arabic. She's never seen somebody with zinc oxide all over their face, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, peeling skin. And she just looks at me and she, her lip starts to quiver and then she runs. And then her dad comes back and I'm like, Hubda? He's like, Hubs, Zubda. I'm like, yes, yes. So he counts out 12 pieces of bread and then he gets an oil cloth with a giant mound of butter. And he's like, you know, how much? So I pull out a, a, a 10 dirham note, which is about a dollar. And I'm like, that much? And he's like, 
he hands me the whole oil cloth. So I'm like, okay, no, no, just like enough for this bread. So I get all this stuff. I'm walking back. I see the guys. Now there's a giant tree in the back and there's a, they would sit in the shadow of the tree. Now I have a pair of um, sandals that have been made from a car tire that that is like what all the Moroccans wear. So it's like this cool um, recycled thing and I just, I loved them. So I'm wearing these sandals. I'm walking out, like everything else was kind of paved or dirt, but I had never walked out to this tree before through this sand in midday. So as I'm walking out, I've got the bread and the butter, the sand gets between my tender feet and the, and the, the sole of the shoe. And all of a sudden I'm like, and I'm like, make it to the shade. I just throw the food and I just, I'm like running like on a hot skillet all the way across. These guys are laughing their asses off. They're like high-fiving each other, just hilarious. They're like rolling on the floor, laughing at me. And I get there, I pull my sandals off. I'm like panting, my feet are burned. And I look and coming is the last guy. He's, he's carrying a wheelbarrow filled with uh, clay to build the bricks, walking through the very sand that I had just come in his bare feet. He puts the wheelbarrow down and he looks at me and he goes, and th this guy was like, at the end of the day, the, a long, skinny, black shadow, if you stood that up, that was this guy. He was from Mali. And he just had this big grin. And he looks at me, and he picks his feet up, and he points at his feet. Now, we have no words in common. And he goes, Michelin. <laughs> so all the guys start laughing again. And I'm like, okay, Michelin, man. Get over here. I got you some bread and butter. Let's go. So we, um, we start to... Um, you know, that they're doing this incredible ornate plaster uh, uh, mosaics. They're doing plaster carving cornices and moldings. And we just have this, like, we get into a rhythm and we start going. And the house gets, um, we, you know, we do a dome and it, it, it just works out. I get to learn a little bit of Arabic, a little bit of French. The guys get to know me and... I'm like getting to the end of the, the summer and I'm like, I, I'm, you know, heading back to, uh, back to college, you know, and I'm, I'm packing and I see that um, I have a box uh, with a brand new pair of running shoes, which I had bought just before I left Rome thinking in my downtime, I'm just going to jog a little bit. <laughs> you know, at lunchtime or maybe in the morning. And I had never even, I had never even taken them out of the box. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, you know what? I'm not going to bring these back. I'm going to give these to the Michelin man. So uh, I, I, uh, at lunch, I say to him, um, I would like to, it's, it's, I'm, I, I, I'm surprised I'm, just remembering these guys. Anyway, I say, I would like to give you these shoes. I'm, I'm not going to wear them. And he looks at me and he gets a big grin on his face and he speaks to Larby in, um, in Arabic. And he, he basically says, thank you very much. But if I took those shoes and I wore them, by the time they wore out, I would not have money to buy another pair and my feet would be soft and pink like yours and then I would be in trouble. I need my calluses.
And so he said, thank you for the offer, but I'm going to, I'm going to decline. And I remember, um, one, it was, you know, one of the many lessons that I learned in Morocco that summer, the hidden flaw in the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but you have to know about them in order to have that work. Thank you. A big thank you to Ed Gavigan, and as always, to Greg Herzenak for all the music in today's episode. Please check out our sponsor, Wink Puzzle. The promo code is MEMORY, all caps. Stay tuned for the next episode, and until then, please leave us a review on iTunes to show your support. Thank you.